The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is David Edwards. He's the president and wealth advisor at Heron Financial Group, based in New York City. Welcome to the show, David. Good afternoon. Let's just start with your background a little bit, educational and your working and what led up to founding of the Heron Financial Group. Certainly. I've been running this firm for 23 years now. Um, my undergraduate degree is history and math at Hamilton College in New York. My MBA is from University of Virginia. And I worked at Morgan Stanley, Numora, and J.P. Morgan Securities prior to starting this firm. And tell us a little bit about your client base and what kind of things you do for them. We take care of about 95 families across the United States, including a half dozen in Europe. Generally speaking, anything that they touch that involves money, we're there with good advice. So that's financial planning, investment management, and estate planning. So are you doing this as a registered investment advisor? Registered discretionary investment advisor. accounts? How does it work? Yeah, registered investment advisor, discretionary accounts. Uh, we have our, our, our clients on uh, one of several investment platforms. Um, our original stock and bond platform, I started out as a U.S. mid-cap growth manager 25 years ago. Uh, we also have a mutual fund platform, an ETF platform, and an SMA platform, uh, separately managed accounts, where we outsource the investment management to other advisors and take care of all the housekeeping, uh, billing, hiring managers, firing managers. Uh, so we're pretty agnostic about how we accomplish the client's uh, goals. It's like we're architects. You want a ranch, you want a Victorian, you want a, uh, uh, a townhouse, we will build a portfolio that matches the client's needs. And what kind of minimums do you require based on people's age, and what kind of fees do you charge? We're, uh, we actually did a lot of work last year figuring out how to uh, broaden our client base beyond the traditional million-dollar, uh, 50 and up clients we've, we've been working with for a long time. So we now have age-based minimums. It's still a million up for 50 and older. It's a half million for 40. It's a zero for uh, younger than 35. And we have an advisor who works specifically with the younger clients. Um, our maximum fee is 1% of assets under management. Uh, that would be for the separately managed stocks and bonds platform. And then we charge 75 basis points for mutual funds and ETFs. And what kind of a track record do you have? Well, we don't post uh, a track record because we have 95 families following 95 separate strategies. We actually went through a process some years ago where we uh, created a GIPS compliant performance composite. But it was like taking the average of brown, yellow, and green. It just made no sense. Um, we do provide performance for the individual clients, of course. And we have a couple of, um, of uh, sample portfolios so, so clients can look at what, what we can do. So do you do it based on aggressive, conservative, moderate, or income-oriented? Or what are some of the baskets that your clients fall into? A lot of advisors claim to create custom portfolios. We actually deliver custom portfolios. Uh, so, for example, we'll get in a client who's been invested in stocks for 20 or 30 years, and those might be some deeply um, 
there might be some deep cost gains, uh, capital gains there. What we'll do is we'll take the existing positions, run them through our portfolio rebalancing tool, figure out where the gaps are, and buy and sell selectively to bring the portfolio in line with what we have in mind. Um, other than that, uh, the usual uh, life cycle allocation rules apply. The clients who are younger tend to be more heavily oriented towards equities, 80 or 100%. The clients that are older are more fixed income oriented, 20%, 30%, 40% in fixed income. Um, we have a lot of clients that have what we call single stock positions. They're executives at Amazon or Oracle or McDonald's, and they have $5 million in a single stock. And our job is to roll them out of those positions over time. So it's very, very custom, very precise. What are you doing for, for particularly older people who want income, uh, who are getting zero on cash, on CDs, money funds, savings accounts, T-bills, and pretty quite low yields on bonds? Uh, what are you sure. doing for people who want income these days? Yeah, so the, the big risk in the bond market these days is what we call duration risk. Uh, we know interest rates have to be higher. It's really baffling they haven't gone higher already. Uh, before the credit crisis back in 2007, the tenure was around 4.5%. Currently, it's around 2.5%. We know that 4.5% is, is a reasonable uh, expectation in the next couple of years. So what we've done is uh, we, we don't use individual bonds anymore. It's just not efficient. We focus on a range of uh, bond funds. Uh, we go down in credit quality. We look at corporates. We look at preferred. And then we also use a couple of inverse funds, um, which are designed to rise in value as interest rates rise. And, they, and these funds accomplish that either by buying floating rate securities or by taking some of the income stream from dividends and using it to buy futures and options to create negative dura duration. So you are expecting interest rates to rise at a We've time We've been expecting have, interest rates yeah. to rise since 2013. Okay. That hasn't worked out so well the last three years. Uh, it's been really remarkable, but uh, it seems like uh, by the end of 2016, uh, we'll see that, that race come through finally. And so why would things change? They haven't been falling for the last three years. Why would they start to rise now? The, uh, the most interesting thing about the current recovery uh, compared to other recoveries of the last 50 years is how slow it's been how long it's taken unemployment to drop below 5%. But hey, we actually know that's not a real number. It's more like 7.5% because there's a lot of people who have stopped looking for work. And this environment where inflation is 0.0 or 0.1, none of that is normal compared to, let's say, uh, the recovery after the 2002 recession where the economy came back up to full speed pretty quickly. So... The Federal Reserve has simply sat on its hands and not raised rates, uh, hasn't had to, uh, because the, the Fed has two jobs. Job one is to uh, maintain full employment. Job two is to keep inflation under control. Jobs aren't strong. Inflation is low. Fed doesn't need to move. And until the Fed moves, uh, the bond markets won't move. So you think the Federal Reserve should be raising rates from where they are now? Uh, at a measured pace. At the beginning of the year, a lot of people were clamoring for the Fed to raise rates four to six times in 2016. And we just didn't see the necessity of it. Um, and indeed, it seems like now two times uh, for 2016 will be more reasonable expectation. So if the Fed raises short rates, what's been happening last time, I mean, when they raised rates in December, the short rate by a quarter point, long rates plummeted. So exactly. you think this time if, if they raise short-term rates, that long-term rates will rise this time. Is that what, yeah. So why so is that a different reaction? The, the reaction back in December was that, oh my God, the Fed has raised rates too soon, too aggressively, really, from zero to a quarter, really. 
um, and this will plunge the economy back into recession. Therefore, we're going to start stocking up on long-term government bonds. And that's, you know, that's 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 the reaction that we wouldn't follow, but that's what the market did. But you're saying next time it'll be different. Uh, well, as once there is some indication that inflation is getting back to normal, and normal would be between one and two percent a year, then you will see a normal reaction in the yield curve. Okay. One of the other things you said for income is you're doing high yield or junk bond uh, kind of securities. Uh, there's been a lot of concern in that market, particularly uh, oil and oil exploration companies. About a quarter of the market is in that field, and there's going to be a lot of defaults because oil's so low. Is that something you're worried about? Uh, we're not agonizing about it too much. Uh, the, the funds, we're very satisfied with the management of the funds that we're using. They're clever enough to not load up on energy bonds. Uh, that's actually a relatively small uh, part of the overall exposure. There was also a lot of concern about uh, bank exposure to energy loans as the bank sold off uh, a, a few weeks back. Again, that's an overblown concern. Um, what's more interesting to me is that the uh, the yields on the, the bond funds that we use got down below 4%. Huh. Because back in 2009, we could get 12 and 13%. So uh, it actually makes me feel a little good to see the, the yields come up a little bit. Now we're getting paid for the risk we're taking. So you think that it's been overdone and, and high yield is a good uh, way to earn income in today's market. There's not that much downside risk is what you're saying. The only thing that would make me concerned about the high yield market was a sharp increase in defaults. And the only reason why a sharp increase in defaults would occur is if um, all of a sudden corporations weren't flush with cash. And yes, we know the energy sector is struggling, but that's a small subset. Okay, uh, so I'm still not clear for retired people who want to live on income. Mm -hmm. High yield, I can see they get some income from that, but if you're going shorter duration uh, and inverse bonds, those are not really producing much income. So how would older people get income from your portfolio? So, so we, we buy these bond funds as a package, recognizing that they have different characteristics depending on maturity, credit quality, uh, regular versus uh, inverse. On balance, those, those bond funds are yielding about 4%. So that's not bad. But generally speaking, we would never put a client 100% in, um, in bonds uh, because if inflation suddenly jumped from 0% to 4% or even moved there over time, that all bond portfolio would get killed. Uh, so instead, we create what we call the, the three-bucket retirement income strategy where we allocate a portion of a, of a client's assets to what we call risk assets. Risk assets are stocks of various flavors, growth, value, large cap, small cap, international stocks, commodities. High return, um, high volatility. A couple times a year, we'll pour the excess of that uh, risk bucket over into the bond bucket. Lower return, lower volatility. The excess of that overflows into the cash bucket or the near cash bucket. Almost no return, almost no volatility. And then we program the exact same distribution to go from the client's portfolio to their checking account each month. During the financial crisis back in 2008, 2009, the risk bucket shrank from 60% of assets to 40% of assets. We just turned the tap off for a couple of years, waited for the stock markets to recover, and um, 
we knew that we could do that because we have a year's worth of income in the cash bucket and four years worth of income in the bond bucket. So we can survive a five-year drought in risk assets and never, um, and never uh, have to cut a draw. There's nothing magical about the three-bucket retirement income strategy. Good advisors have done this for 50 years. So is this something that you're making act- actual judgments about? Or is there some kind of an algorithm or robo-advisor that's helping you figure out what to do at any particular time? We have a lot of academic research that says that the long-term sustainable draw rate on a portfolio is 4% conservatively, 5% aggressively. And that academic research lets us say, okay, well, what if we made it 90% stocks and 10% bonds? Or what if we made it 40% stocks and 60% bonds? What is the best asset mix uh, given everything we know of the last 60 or 70 years of economic history. And the answer seems to be that a 60-40 portfolio or a 70-30 portfolio is an all-weather portfolio that survives every combination of um, inflation, recession, war, disease, pestilence, terrorism. Um, and, and a lot of horrible things have happened in the last 60 or 70 years, and yet this very plain vanilla strategy uh, has always worked. This is when you say 60-40, you mean 60 stocks, 40 bonds, or 70 Correct. stocks, 30 bonds, right? Correct. And then within those portfolios, you're, you're mixing what kind of stocks and bonds based on the way you just described it? Yeah. So in uh, so let's say within the uh, a stock portfolio, right, if we're going to regard that as a, you know, as a factor of 100, uh, we might over-allocate 20% to uh, financial services, 20% to technology, 20% to healthcare. Those are the sectors that grow historically the fastest. And then we might have a mixture of uh, consumer discretionary staples, uh, energy stocks in the in the five to six percent range, depending on our opinion. Um, they often are slow growers, but provide uh, income when times are tough. Uh, in particular, we like the fact that healthcare is countercyclical. Uh, when technology is doing badly, healthcare tends to do well, and vice versa. And then we have um, a rebalancing tool that enables our portfolio manager to keep track of how the client's portfolio is allocated versus the targets. And we we allow some tolerance, maybe one or two percent fluctuation is okay. But once the tolerance exceeds a certain level for the entire portfolio, he'll go and in rebalance. And the uh, the benefit of that systematic rebalancing is that, let's say technology has done well and healthcare has done poorly, well, we're going to sell high in technology and buy low in healthcare and then wait for them to, uh, to fluctuate again. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is David Edwards. He's the president and wealth advisor at Heron Financial Group, uh, based in New York City. Uh, their website is heron, H-E-R-O-N, financialgroup.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is David Edwards. He's the president and wealth advisor at Heron Financial Group, uh, based in New York City. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you. So you had a lot of experience, particularly at uh, Morgan Stanley, in the kind of back end and the systems area, which has led into an interest in cybersecurity. Tell us a little bit about what you did in Morgan Stanley and how that's created an interest in protecting people against cybercrime. Sure. Uh, when, I went, when I first went to work at Morgan Stanley in 1983, I wasn't working in fixed income, which is where I ended up. I started out in systems at a time when we were bringing technology to bear on financial applications for the first time, using IBM mainframes that had disk drives and punch cards. And, you know, I think that uh, my, my, my iPhone has more processing power than all of Morgan Stanley in 1983. Um, it's been a long time since I've been involved with uh, systems development, but I never let go of uh, my technology skills. And so we run a very uh, technology-forward uh, firm where we try to automate uh, as much as possible so that we can spend our, our more valuable time talking uh, with clients and prospects. Um, starting about three or four years ago, uh, our firm was not attacked, but our clients were attacked. And they were attacked in the sense that somebody took over their uh, email account and, and sent emails to us asking for us to send money um, to places we never heard of before or um, social um, uh, attacks where uh, we, we get a phone call, uh, uh, or grandma gets a phone call, grandma, 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 this is Sophie, listen, I've been in a car accident and my nose is all busted up, but I, I gotta give $1,000 real quick to this other driver. Can you quickly go to, to, to Western Union? Wow. And so um, 
and so that's a you know, how did how did the, the bad guys know so much about Grandma and Sophie? Well, they looked at Grandma's Facebook page. <clears throat> so um, we uh, we brought in an outside uh, cybersecurity firm, and we said, look, we don't have unlimited time or budget. Look at our systems, talk to our people, and identify the top 10 uh, risks that we have and give us an action plan for systematically locking them down. Okay. So a lot of uh, our peer firms are still in denial about the risks that they're facing because their attitude is, well, we're not J.P. Morgan, we're not Home Depot, we're small, no one's ever going to attack us. And are you more vulnerable a- if you're smaller than bigger? Of course. You're, you're, you're so small because you don't have a dedicated... Uh, IT team, your, your, your technology might be out of date, your patches aren't supplied, uh, aren't in place, whatever. Um, and you know, one of the most interesting places that bad guys go to get good data is they attack school systems. So you enroll your daughter or son at the local uh, kindergarten and all of your name and address and phone number and cell phone number and uh, driver's license number and social security number all gets entered into this little school system as part of their tracking of parents, and that's an easily attacked system and the, and the data is extracted. Or hospitals are also aggressively attacked uh, because then people use that information to put in fraudulent um, uh, healthcare insurance claims. So um, we realized that we could never afford to be one of the people you read about on the, on the news as being attacked. Um, so we went through and systematically up-armored our entire firm um, and one of the most powerful ways of doing that is to uh, inventory every system that has a password and then rank those systems from super critical to, to who cares. So for example, any of our systems that involve trading or, or transferring money um, or, or contain client data, those are our highest uh, priority and those get passwords changed every three months. And we have to use what's called uh, dual factor authentication to even get into the system. If I want to access our, our main server, uh, I first have to enter a code uh, from my phone. Mm-hmm. And then at the other end of that list is uh, websites where if it's hacked, who cares? So for example, uh, my New York Times subscription or my Wall Street Journal subscription, um, if someone has access to that, I, I don't know. I don't care. They can't do um, much damage is what you're saying. Yeah, th- yeah, there's nothing there they can use for damage. So individuals who are listening to this right now should go through the same process. And if you're still using guest01 as the password to your JP Morgan account, you need to change that. Um, there are a number of uh, tools you can use like LastPass, for example, which will replace your easily guessed password with a very long, complex 12 to 18 character password and give you a separate system for logging in that requires that dual, uh, that, that dual authentication. So what are some examples of people being hacked and, and what kind of damage do people do when they're out there? Are they trying to steal money or what, what is it they're trying to do once they get the information they need? Yeah, so, so much of it is social engineering. Um, so, for example, at our firm, we have a, a two-person review and release of all, about, of all outbound cash. Um, the, the wealth advisor who knows the client has to agree and the operations manager has to agree. So, for example, a couple of years ago, my operations manager uh, said, hey, Dave, um, we just got an email uh, from Bob in New Hampshire that he wants $25,000 for a horse, um, and he wants us to send the money right, right over. And I said, uh, okay, um, I'm not expecting that email. Let me, let me make a phone call. And I called up Bob, and I said, hey, Bob, uh, you know, and, and by the way, uh, Bob lives in New Hampshire on a farm, and he has... Uh, 
a special needs daughter, and so it's not unreasonable that he would want to buy a horse. And $25,000 is not an unreasonable price uh, for a horse. Um, so I said, hey, Bob, are you buying a horse? He goes, no. I said, whoa, you need to change your passwords right away. He said, Dave, I'm leaving for Europe in two hours. I said, oh my God, you totally have to change all your passwords right now. So what had happened to Bob was that uh, his uh, email account was hacked, no doubt, when he was surfing the web at a Starbucks, never used public Wi-Fi, if you can possibly help it. And um, the bad guys got into his email account and sleuthed out the relationship with us and uh, did some analysis of Bob and his life and came up with a very plausible story. Well, and they're reading his emails and coming yeah, up. They're reading their emails to us. They know all about us. Uh-huh. And um, they even knew about his upcoming uh, vacation plans. So, and they put a filter in his email account. So if I replied back via email, um, it would go to them and not to Bob. Hmm. So the, the idea was that uh, I would email Bob back and say, hey, Bob, uh, are you buying a horse? And, and Bob would say, yeah, of course I'm buying a horse. But listen, I'm in, I'm in Romania right now. I can't talk on the phone. Can you go ahead and take care of this for me? Uh-huh. And okay. there have been... A, there have been advisors who have forged their client signatures to an outbound wire uh, request thinking they were doing the client a favor. Did you find out who the cyber thieves were? No. have no idea. It could be China. It could be Indonesia. It could be Russia. It could be, it could be Alabama. It could be anywhere in the world. But how do they not get, get caught? I mean, they must have an IP address or something to be able to trace them. Well, uh, we're, we're in the wealth management business. We're not in the cyber security business. Um, all we could do for our client was make him understand the risks, have him change all the passwords. Certainly, we did not process that, that wire request. Um, you know, theoretically, we could forward the, uh, the, uh, the, all the, the information to our custodian, Fidelity. They're very curious about this stuff. But again, uh, unless there's a lot of money involved, you know, the, the, uh, the authorities won't even get involved unless it's at least $25,000. So if you had not made the call, say you had made the call and he was already in Romania, you couldn't reach him. You would I was, not hey, put, Bob, right, if you I can't would not reach you, that, right? if I can't reach you, if I can't call you on a known phone number, uh, I can't process this trade, uh, this, this wire request. And we have educated our clients to understand that uh, if we're not 100% confident this is a legitimate request, we're not going to honor it. And they need to plan for that if they'll say they're buying a, a ski house or buying a horse. Give us time. We're, we, we're not going to do this willy-nilly. So, so how widespread is this? I mean, you hear of cybercrime at the kind of big level. They've targeted Home Depot or Target or, you know, big, big things. But how uh, widespread is this on a uh, kind of a micro level, the way you've Tens described it? Tens of thousands of incidents per day. And so they're getting away with it. It must be profitable for them if yeah, they're doing absolutely. it. Yeah, absolutely. So... Uh, so what uh, businesses can do to protect themselves, what individuals can do to protect themselves is avoid being the low-hanging fruit. If you have weak passwords, you're a low-hanging fruit. If you don't have dual-factor authentication on your, on your bank account, you're a low-hanging fruit. Um, if you use uh, public Wi-Fi at Starbucks, you are a low-hanging fruit. And the bad guys, you know, they, they've got time budgets also. They're going to go after the easy people. And so it's like the old joke about, uh, you know, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than your friend. Yeah. So it's the same thing with cybersecurity. You don't have to be perfect, but if you're, if you're better than the rest, they're the ones who will be victimized, not you. So are these people ever found, or are they just they keep doing this and get away with it? 
Some, sometimes they're found. Every once in a while, the FBI will, will, will make a big announcement that they've wrapped up 30 or 40 people uh, after a couple of years of, uh, of work. But, it, you know, it, all it takes is a, is a computer and a phone. It's, it's not, you don't even need, in the old days, you'd have to actually put on a mask and, 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 and holster a revolver and walk into a bank yeah. to get money. And you don't need to do that anymore. You can do it from your dorm room. So if you have a classic anti, uh, you know, Norton or some kind of a software to stop, is that of any help? Yes, that certainly helps a lot. Uh, the problem with a product like Norton is that it's the most popular um, uh, antivirus, anti-malware application. Therefore, it's the most aggressively attacked. Uh, it's the same thing with PCs versus Macs. If you're on a on a on a Mac, you have somewhat less risk than on a, on a PC because most of the bad guys go after the Macs. Eighty-five percent of the computers out there are Macs. Um, we replaced. Um, we we historically had used the Norton Suite, which we think is a fine consumer product, with significantly uh, up-armored uh, industrial uh, anti-malware. Pretty scary. Pretty scary. And and we're paying a hefty budget uh, each month to an outside cybersecurity firm to um, make sure that the patches are up to date that, and uh, keep us informed, whatever. And then we're hiring another cybersecurity firm to attack our vendors and our networks and try and find holes. Pretty well. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is David Edwards. He's the president and wealth advisor at Heron Financial Group based in New York City. We'll be back with this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, David Edwards, President and Wealth Advisor at Heron Financial Group. Welcome back to the show, David. Glad to be here. What can people find at heronfinancialgroup.com's website? Uh, we write a pretty well-regarded monthly stock market commentary, and that monthly commentary becomes a weekly commentary when the markets are stressed. Um, the reason why it's well-regarded is because I tend to use concepts that are familiar to average people. So, for example, a few weeks ago I wrote uh, a commentary titled, On a Cruise Ship in a Storm, Anything But Smooth Sailing. Um, and I, I, I got onto that after reading about a, a cruise ship that got caught in a pretty crazy storm uh, between New Jersey and Florida a few weeks ago. And it was uh, Super Bowl Sunday, and pretty much the passengers were holding onto their bunks for dear life as this 5,000-passenger uh, ship rolled in the waves. Uh, of course, everybody was safe in the end. Um, but for 12 hours, it was pretty horrible. And that's kind of how my clients feel about the stock market right now. Uh, which uh, they tend to pay, pay no attention to when things are going well, but December, January, February was pretty horrible. And now in the last eight weeks, the calm has returned and the market is almost unchanged on the year. Uh, we also have uh, what we call uh, quick takes on estate, uh, estate tax and financial planning. This is a very nice piece there called Joyful Financial Planning. How can we take the fear that people have of their financial future and convert it to joy? So when people are going through a rough time, like in January and February, how do you reassure them when it seems like everything's going to be falling and they should sell out and just go to cash? Sure. It's the nature of average people, 98% of Americans, to remember no more than uh, what happened over the last six months and be able to project no more than three months into the future. We get that. At heart, we're all cavemen. And when you were living in Africa or in the jungle or on the savanna or maybe in, in uh, Europe uh, in the Neanderthal days, there was never tomorrow, never yesterday, only today. Um, so instinctually, most people really can't remember more than a few months ago. And what they tend to do is take the current trend, let's say it's the price of oil, falling from uh, 100 bucks a barrel down to 26 bucks a barrel, and draw a straight line and say, see, by, by, by April, it'll be zero. No, these things zig and zag. So whenever... Um, people get overly focused on the day-to-day -day events, that's when we come in with our historical perspective. I was trained as a historian and talk about things we've seen in other times, uh, running back to the, the Great Depression uh, or even longer, um, to remind people, yeah, we've been through this before. The market ebbs, the market flows, the market ebbs, the market flows. But with each, uh, with each flow, it's higher than it was before. And as long as we have your monthly draw coming out, and we always do, don't sweat what happens on a day-by-day -day basis. So that reassures people people do not panic even when the market keeps going down for weeks at a time? They panic, but we are in their face calling them or, or writing to them before they call us. Uh-huh. So it's preemptively worried Absolutely. about Absolutely. Long time ago, a client said, Dave, good news or bad, I always hear it from you first. Yes, that's Excellent. Good. So an another topic you want to talk about is elder abuse. Uh, we talked about uh, cybersecurity and all that. So yeah. what are some things that are specifically aimed at older people that make them give up their money and, and be taken? That, that yeah, they might so not the be exact same bad guys that are targeting you at Starbucks are, are targeting your parents 
uh, at home. And uh, yeah, I'm 54, my parents are in their 80s and they're pretty clever people. Um, uh, but not all parents are in that same category. And when they get a phone call from someone they've never heard of before, um, they actually pick up the phone and engage in conversation. Or um, they uh, click on an email that um, they shouldn't have clicked on. And all of a sudden, there's malware installed on their computer looking at all their bank accounts. Um, but what's particularly um, horrible is what, is what we call elder abuse, uh, where it's not just the cybersecurity thing. It's actually somebody in the, in the person's home taking advantage of them. Um, so I'm going to describe an example when we've, we've disguised the, um, the details somewhat. Okay. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, one of my clients got the bad news that his father had died. Okay, well, unexpected. The gentleman was 92 years old. Um, but was not expected was that six months previously, the father's... Um, nurse had prevailed on the old man to draft all new documents uh, naming her the power of attorney uh, executor and beneficiary of a two and a half billion dollar estate and a law firm conspired with this lady to create a hundred percent legal documents that were properly witnessed and notarized by who the hell knows who um, and uh, and furthermore the old man died uh, when the son was uh, in Australia, the other side of the world, it took him about four days to get back to the United States. Uh, by the time he got there, uh, the, the, the funeral was over, the body was cremated, and the locks were changed on the doors of the house, the safe deposit box was emptied out, all the bank accounts were emptied out, the silver family portraits, uh, um, collectibles all gone. And if our client even set foot on the property, he would have been arrested for trespassing. Um, we, we scrambled around and found an elder abuse attorney to help our client. But the bottom line is that money is gone. We have no recourse. Hmm. So, so in other words, the, was the law firm helping the help in that case committing fraud in a case like that? Um, well, you could argue that they were committing fraud. But here's the thing. We have no videotape of the signing of uh, that, those estate documents, so we have no idea what the mental state was of the father when he signed them. Right? The law firm says, no, these are, this is legitimate. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that we did was we called the bank and said to the bank, I said, what, what did you do when all of a sudden this stranger came with all new powers of attorney? And they said, oh, we've known Mr. X for 40 years. Whatever Mr. X says goes. We're going to do exactly what he says. Mm -hmm. And in the modern world, that is not good enough. Um, so one of the things that we've been monitoring is um, some uh, uh, draft legislation formulated by FINRA, uh, Financial Regulatory Agency, and then also by the state regulators um, to create what would be called a trusted concept, uh, trusted, a trusted contact concept. So, for example, if I was Mr. X's advisor, and unfortunately I wasn't, and I got this strange power of attorney, or let's say Dr. X, you know, or Mrs. X came to me, uh, 80 years old with her 35-year-old boyfriend, said, I want you to give my boyfriend $500,000, I could put a hold on that transaction and make a phone call to a trusted contact and say, hey, is this on the up and up? Mm -hmm. um, and so, obviously, with uh, Congress pretty much in permanent gridlock, it's going to be a long time for legislation like this to come through. 
Um, but what we do at our firm is we engage clients across multiple generations. We want to be working with uh, the matriarch or patriarch in their 70s or 80s. We'll be working with the adult children in their, in their 40s and 50s. We'll be working with uh, the grandchildren in their early 20s and create uh, family meetings um, that are uh, where we can mediate and say, look, by the way, we need to have this, um, this difficult conversation right now about powers of attorney and um, who gets to make decisions on your behalf if you can't. So how does that conversation go? So kind of give me, an, how would that be handled well? Yeah. The parents probably would not take that very well. Exactly. So here's the thing. If you're a grandmother, let's say, and all of a sudden your three adult children say, look, grandma, we really need to have a, me- a family meeting where we discuss your powers of attorney, it could go well or it could go badly. But oftentimes you'll say, oh, my God, you're trying to steal my money. All right? right. But if a, if a relatively disinterested observer, your wealth advisor says, hey, Mrs. X, this is an important meeting that you need to have. And I will set the meeting up. I will prepare the agenda, I will bring the cookies and tea, uh, and we're going to have a conversation about what it will take to make sure that you have nothing to worry about financially for the rest of your life, including the protection of your assets. So it comes across better that way, is what you're saying. Absolutely. And I've, I've had some real tough meetings where a, a long-term client is now sliding into Alzheimer's um, and you know, has to leave the home they've been in for 40 or 50 years and has to move into assisted living for their personal safety. And I've worked with the sister and the children and the the lawyer to gently but firmly explain, look, for your own safety, we need to do these things. So that's Um, typically when they're most vulnerable, when they're having to move out or they have Alzheimer's, that's when the, the, the elder abuse people can move in. Absolutely. Uh, you know, once Alzheimer's kicks in, you can grab that person's hand and make them sign anything, um, and they'll never know. Um, and so you need, this is what we call the awkward conversation all boomers must have with their parents. You need to do this five years before things really get to be difficult. But it, the elderly people can often resist wanting to give up control or independence. So. Absolutely. I had another situation with another family where uh, you know, the, the client was, is my age in his 50s, and he said, Dave, you know, my, my father's been managing his accounts forever. He used to be a vice president at E.F. Hutton, but you know, I'm, I'm worried about his, his abilities as he ages. And so we met on several occasions, and the, the father was very resistant to addressing the issue until he had a stroke while driving his car and crashed into a tree. Mm-hmm. So not only did he have a stroke, not only did he have a concussion of broken ribs, um, but uh, you know that was the first real time I said, oh my God, I need to have backup on this. I can't do this myself anymore. So is that often what it takes is some kind of an accident or some problem? Yeah. In the first people- five years of your life, you're not able to make good decisions. But we know that between zero and five, you're going to eventually outgrow it and become a grown-up. In the last five years of your life, you're not able to make good decisions. But when does that start? At age 70, at age 75, at age 95, where does it start? I've got clients that are in their late 80s that are in fabulous physical and mental health, and I've got clients that have already died in their 50s and 60s. So where does it, where does it come? Yeah. How widespread is this elder abuse that we've just been talking about? Um, it's, it's not tens of thousands of cases, but when I talked to the elder abuse attorney that we, we located, she says, oh, yeah, this happens daily. A famous, uh, there's a pretty interesting uh, presentation that Mickey Rooney, of all people, uh, did uh, before Congress a couple years ago, 
uh, here's a guy, famous actor, made a lot of money, blah, 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 loved by millions of fans. Um, his money was systematically stolen from him by, a, by a, um, a, 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 a second wife or a third wife and her son. And whenever he tried to challenge on that, they just uh, yelled at him and screamed at him and, and locked him away and wouldn't have access to the outside world. So here's somebody you'd think would have plenty of protection and yet was taken total advantage of. Crazy, crazy. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is David Edwards. He's president and wealth advisor at Heron Financial Group. You can find out more about him at his website, Heron, H-E-R-O-N, financialgroup.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is David Edwards, President and Wealth Advisor at Heron Financial Group, based in New York City. Welcome back to the show, David. Thank you. So let's kind of take a look at what you think is going to be happening in the stock market for the rest of this year. We had a big drop at the beginning. It seems to have come back and stabilized a bit lately. What are some of the the bullish and bearish forces, and how is it all going to play out this year? So people have been talking about the the bull market that started in – in March 2009, we think a bear market started in August 2014, but it wasn't obvious for a while because the uh, the large cap growth index, which is a good chunk of the S&P 500, buoyed by uh, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, stayed strong even when uh, many of the sub-indexes were doing very badly. Um, and so uh, you had a big sell-off last August when people worried about China, then you had a recovery in uh, September and October, and then you had another sell-off that started in November, increased uh, dramatically in, uh, in January and February to the point where the SP was down about 15% from the May 2015 high. And that's when the clients began to call us a lot. 
historically speaking, uh, on a month-by-month basis, 88% of the time the S&P 500 is higher and 12% of the time it is lower. But since uh, pleasure uh, grabs your attention less than pain, you tend to ignore the market when it's rising and drill in on it when it's falling. And so one of our favorite indicators uh, is publicly available. It's called the CNN Fear and Greed Index. Looks at about seven or eight different parameters and gives you a dial. And at the one end of the dial is extreme greed, and the other end of the dial is extreme fear. And historically speaking, when you get into that, into that extreme fear category, that's when you want to go fully invested. And so for our clients, uh, we have an annual cycle where in November and December, we look over the portfolios, uh, take profits in some cases, uh, harvest tax losses if that's possible. And normally we, we want to be fully invested by the end of December, take advantage of the so-called uh, Santa Claus rally. Okay. Well, well, this year there was no Santa Claus rally at all. And so rather than invest uh, towards the end of December, we just sat on that cash uh, for probably eight or 10 weeks uh, until we got to the point where uh, we could see, by looking at the technical indicators, that people were vomiting up good stocks for no good reason at all. And we took our clients fully invested in mid-January. So end for of about, January, you said. Uh, yeah, about mid-January. So okay. for two weeks, we seemed to be premature because the market really hit the low for the cycle in the first week of February. But then it rallied 9% in three weeks. So that's a year's return in three weeks. And now, as a result, the S&P 500 is only down 1% on the year. Um, the uh, oil market is stabilized. It's about $35, $36 a Now, that was a big concern earlier. Um, we're, where do we're, we stand right now in the fear greed index? And where was it at the bottom? Uh, at, when, we, when, we, when we took the clients fully invested in mid-January, it was at extreme fear. Like zero, you couldn't go any further on the on the gauge, uh, okay. and now it's back to uh, a middle, halfway between fear and greed. And so the same thing happened in two thousand eight. Uh, yeah, in two thousand uh, in uh, in March two thousand and nine, I seriously considered closing my firm because every day people rushed to the markets and sold good securities at twenty cents on the dollar, and. I've been investing since I was 17 years old, that's a long time, but I was thinking, well, maybe there's something new, something different I don't understand, and maybe I should quit this business and do something else. Um, and I thought about it for about four weeks, and then I realized I wasn't qualified to do anything else. So instead, I took my clients fully invested in uh, April 2009, and they did very well over the next uh, So were uh, they complaining? Days. Were they just saying this is crazy, the, the world's coming to an end, and you're, you're just losing all my money? Uh, you know it's a tough bear market when a client calls up and says, I'm firing you and taking all my, my, putting all my, my stocks in cash. Uh-huh. Uh, that happened in 2002 uh, after the recession caused by 9-11. That happened in uh, 2009. Uh, interestingly, nobody has, has fired us uh, of late. And I think that's because we're much more uh, aggressive about telling clients that you're going to survive this. Uh, so, so you're not, happy. You're happy when you get fired because that's a good sign to get fully involved. It's it's a contrary indicator. Uh, yeah. When a half dozen clients fire you, okay, let's take the rest fully invested. <laughs> that takes some guts to do that. Absolutely, but that's why we have a job. That's why in, investing is something that two percent of people can do successfully, and ninety percent uh, people cannot do successfully because of the emotion involved. I mean, the, the, exactly. We're we're all cave people at heart. And back in the battle days 10,000 years ago, if you got scared by a saber-toothed tiger, 
you would be very careful for saber-toothed tigers. Mm-hmm. But the stock market is not a saber-toothed tiger. So speaking of saber-toothed tigers, uh, let's talk about the political realm right now. Mm-hmm. Um, let's for the moment say Trump becomes the Republican nominee. How will that affect the stock market? Even take it a step further, what if he became elected president? How would that affect the stock market? Yeah, so uh, I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I've known that guy for 50 years now. He is an amazing you know, BS artist. That's what it takes to sell real estate in New York City, get your condominiums out the door to Japanese business people. Uh, I don't remotely regard him as qualified to be the president of the United States, but that's not my job. My job is to figure out who is it likely to be. Um, and at this stage of the game, um, the only way he would not be the nominee is uh, if he had a heart attack. It's a possibility. Uh, if somehow uh, Rubio dropped out and, and uh, pushed uh, Cruz to, to take him on instead. Um, some conversations about a brokered convention, I would give that a 10% probability. I think Trump will acquire enough uh, delegates uh, to, um, to win the nomination on the first ballot. So we put out a piece over the weekend, uh, and it was entitled, uh, you know, could Trump be the president and what does it mean for stocks? And what we said was, well, we've got a good sense of what Clinton would be like if she was the president. It'd be a continuation of the Obama administration and the uh, and just the be a continuation, Clinton. basically, of what we exactly. Yeah. Um, and if it was Rubio or Cruz, it would be a continuation of the Bush uh, 43 or the George W. Bush administration. Bigger uh-huh. tax cuts, bigger deficits. Um, generally speaking, uh, uh, divided uh, House and uh, and Senate and, and uh, White House. That's actually good for stocks. If Trump was the president, a big question mark. Uh, you know, he's, he's I'm going to give you Trump as I'm going to give you Trump as president and a Republican House and Senate, and he can do whatever he likes. Yeah. So he would uh, scrap the estate tax. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a big part of the Republican platform. And Trump, maybe he's worth four billion, maybe not. But you know, he sure would like to pass that money on to his kids. Um, a, uh, he claims he would uh, sh- sharply increase uh, import tariffs as much yes. as 35% mm-hmm. on Mexico, on China. Well, that would be catastrophic for us. Um, a lot of our prosperity of the last four decades has been on um, outsourcing production of goods, of goods to the places where it's, it's cheapest. Now, that's created structural problems for our society. Uh, because that process of, of outsourcing uh, production to keep costs down benefits the coastal elites, people like me in New York, people in California, and harms people in the, in the middle of the country and the south of the country that used to make things. So, um, so how would that affect the stock market if we get into a trade war is basically what you're saying. Uh, so so uh, the uh, – oh, and then the other thing is it wants to export 11 million illegal um, mm-hmm. immigrants, right? Yes. And so the initial estimate of, of what that would, would do is, is $1 trillion off of an economy currently running at, at, uh, at uh, $20 trillion, right? We'd, so, we'd lose the productivity of those $11 million and So that would be a barrels. 5% reduction in GDP, boom, instant recession. Uh-huh. And the stock market really doesn't care about who the president is. It only cares about revenues, earnings, and interest rates. Well, interest rates would stay low. But revenues would plummet and earnings would plummet. And that's what we saw in uh, 2008. Uh, earnings plummeted and the stock market fell 55%. Now, I'm not yet changing my strategy because I don't yet know that Trump will be the president. 
I would say that there's a two-thirds chance it's Clinton, one-third it's Trump. Those aren't my preferences. I don't really have an opinion about politicians. That's just the probability as I see it. Uh, there is a small chance that the Senate goes from Republican to Democratic again. Hey, Democratic uh, president, Republican uh, Congress, gridlock ensues, stocks do well. So gridlock is good for stocks, you're saying? Gridlock is good for stocks. Very good. All right, well, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Very interesting stuff. Uh, my guest this hour has been David Edwards, president and wealth advisor at Heron Financial Group. You can sign up for his weekly uh, newsletter and kind of see what he's saying on a, on a regular basis. We've talked about cybersecurity and investments, all kinds of very interesting things. So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, David. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.